with all of that said, I believe that was the last announcement, right? So we'll turn to our sermon this morning, and the title of our sermon is pretty simple. It's Keep Loving Your Enemies, or Keep On Loving Your Enemies. If you remember last week, uh, we started in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the, the, the gospel writer Luke, he kind of calls it the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, I believe they're the same exact, uh, situ- it's the same exact event, the same sermon that Jesus is preaching, just two different accounts. And last week, we talked about the posture of the kingdom person. Remember, we said that the kingdom person is poor, the kingdom person is hungry. Amen. That's my nephew right there. All right, bro. The kingdom person is poor, the kingdom person is hungry. What we didn't get to is that the kingdom person is also weeping or sad, and the kingdom person is hated or persecuted. We didn't get to those last two just for time's sake. Today we jump ahead to continuing to talking about the kingdom person. And what Jesus says in this passage this morning is that the kingdom person loves his enemies. The kingdom person, the follower of Christ, loved his enemies. Loves his enemies. Now, we started last Sunday by speaking about the, the, the definition of the kingdom. All right. Pop quiz. Pop quiz. What is the kingdom? Anybody want to sh- shout it out? Amen. The rule and reign of God. And so we are kingdom people whenever the... Good job. Gold star, Jesse. The rule and reign of God. And so wherever the rule and reign of God exists, that's where the kingdom of heaven exists. Now, remember we said that we will in, we'll use interchangeably the, the term kingdom people or the, the phrase kingdom people with Christ follower or Christian. And that's because... In order to be a Christ follower, you must have accepted the rule and reign of God in your life, right? You can't have one without the other. The kingdom person, the Christian, the Christ follower is submitting to the rule and reign of God in their life. And so we'll use those words interchangeably again today. And it's the title is Keep on Loving Your Enemies. And what I want us to walk away from, if we don't get anything else, is this big idea, this main idea, is that kingdom people love their enemies. Very simple. Kingdom people love their enemies. And we're going to talk a whole lot more about that. We'll be coming from Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 38. And we'll read this, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump in the sermon. And so Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. And this is Jesus speaking. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who hate you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. 
a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, friends. Father, I thank you again for all your kindness and mercy. Lord, I thank you for this new day. I thank you that we are able to come together and worship through song, sing praises to your name. I thank you, Lord, that as we were pouring ourselves to you, you were pleased to pour yourselves into us and among us afresh. Lord, I just thank you for being present, for loving us, for being so deeply concerned with our concerns, being so deeply concerned with every person here, considering all that you oversee. You're with us. Lord, I pray that um, today you would grant us soft hearts to receive with humility and clarity exactly what you want us to through your word. And that, Lord, your word would accomplish in every heart and mind here exactly what you sent it forth to accomplish. That indeed it would not return void, as you promised in your word. Grant me clarity of speech. Grant me conviction in preaching. And of course, add to your word, your effectual power once again to do all that you set it to do. Lord, I pray that today we would be so overwhelmed with your mercy and forgiveness of us that we would be able to find it in ourselves to forgive others and to love even our enemies. Lord, I give you the glory and the honor because indeed you are worthy of all praise, all glory, all honor. Thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen, so, I remember several years ago, I remember at the church that I, I'd become a Christian at, there was a small, very old woman. Her name was Mama Jane. And Mama Jane, as small and as, and as old as she was, she was a firecracker woman. She didn't move really fast, but she had this fire in her, right? This kind of fire that you couldn't really stifle. You know, she was really quick-witted. You know, she, she would give you the jab, if you, you know, and you, she was just a really, really funny, really sweet woman. And I knew that her and the pastor of that church shared a very special relationship. I could tell that he gained a lot of encouragement by her presence in that church, but I never really knew why until the day that I had heard her story, and it all made sense. You see, Mama Jane, several years before I had started coming to the church, probably even before I was born, Mama Jane's son had been murdered. And sometime after her son had been murdered, her son's killer had been captured and, and convicted and put in prison. Well, the story goes that as soon as Mama Jane heard that her son's murderer had been captured, she made up in her mind that she had to go see him. That was her first response. I got to go see him. Now, what would make sense to, to me, and I'm assuming would make sense to you, is that she wanted to go see him. Why? So she could tell him how much she hated him, right? So, she could, so that she could let him have it. So that she could look him in the eyes and, and just tell him off. Tell him how much he deserves his fate. Just any of that. that makes perfect sense to us, doesn't it? But what Mama Jane, in fact, did when she went up to that prison 
And when she sat on the other side of the glass from this man makes absolutely no sense. What she did when she finally met this man is probably the most absurd thing I've ever heard in a situation like this. As that small woman sat on the other side and looked into the eyes of her son's killer, she forgave him. She forgave him. And we were told that as Mama Jane looked in this murderer's eyes and said the words of forgiveness, this man, this murderer, this man who took her son's life in cold blood, broke down and wept. And Mama Jane didn't stop here. From that day on, Mama Jane committed to praying for this man every day and visiting him in prison as much as she possibly could until she was too old and sick to do so. By the time Mama Jane died, this man called her his mother. I remember the Sunday after Mama Jane died, the pastor of that church, he stood up and with tears in his eyes, there wasn't a dry eye in the church. He said, if Mama Jane don't make it to heaven then none of us are. And the reason why he could say that is because, brothers and sisters, you can tell a whole lot about a Christian's character, about a person's character, by the way they treat their friends and the people who like them. But you can tell a whole lot more by the way the Christian treats their enemy. And this is exactly what Jesus is getting at in this passage this morning. You see, the world will measure our character, our personhood, by how well we treat those who we like and who like us. But in the kingdom, character is measured by how well we treat our enemies. By how well we treat those who don't like us. And why is this? Because, brothers and sisters, love for our enemy, love for the enemy is the epitome, it is at the core, at the heart of the gospel. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us not while we were in Sunday school, right? Not while we were attending church faithfully and tithing and giving money to the poor. Not while we were living right and doing right. But while we were still sinners. While we were living contrary to God and his will for us. While we were looking at God and saying thanks, but no thanks. Christ died for us. Friends. Kingdom people love their enemies because God loves his enemies, i.e. you and me. And that's our first point this morning, that the kingdom people love their enemies because God loves his enemies. Now, before we get to loving our enemies, I want to define what an enemy is, right? So in one commentary I read, the commentator, he took the Hebrew word for enemy and he defines it very simply as this. He says, an enemy 
is a hater. <laughs> an enemy is a hater. Very simple. You go to that, that, uh, that slide with the uh, d- definition. An enemy is a hater. Brother and sister, look at your neighbor and say, stop hating. Stop hating. And any, an enemy is anybody who is hating you at the moment. Anybody who can't stand you, anybody who just doesn't like you, that is what an enemy is. But there are a couple of caveats here, right? And the first caveat is this, right? An enemy, according to what Jesus is saying here, we're not talking about wartime enemies, we're talking about in community in the kingdom. An enemy, according to what Jesus says here, is someone who doesn't like you or hates you without just cause, without good reason, okay? You can't be doing people wrong and deserve them to hate you, and then go about talking about you're going to love them anyway. Right? It, don't, it don't work that way. Okay? That, that, that's, that's an easy thing to do. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. An enemy is someone who, who hates us without just cause. And the second caveat is this. Jesus makes it clear that kingdom people should have enemies. Kingdom people should have enemies. And I know this is interesting or shocking for some of us to hear because there's this idea that being a Christian means that everybody likes you. And if folks don't like you, it's because you're doing something wrong. Or you're not walking with the Lord, right? People assume that everybody should like pastors. Some of y'all didn't laugh because, you know, yeah, I don't like you, Leon. So, hey, you're right. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear I could not like you, right? But no. Jesus says clear that kingdom people should have enemies. In verse 6, Mark 26, my passage last week, he says explicitly, he says, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. According to Jesus, brothers and sisters, having people like, dislike us without just cause is a greater indication of our good standing in the kingdom than having people like us. Let me tell you something. There were a lot of people who didn't like Jesus, and Jesus never did anything wrong. Okay? So we should assume that they're not going to like us all that much either. But with all that said, how do we love our enemies? How do we love our enemies? Now, for this sermon, I did something that I don't do for a lot of sermons um, I decided to sit down and just run through the whole Greek, the whole original language, and just go word by word. And the reason I did that is because I think that the Sermon on the Mount is one of those passages that's just pivotal for the Christian. And so I wanted to make sure that I was able to pull out as much of the nuance, the kind of subtle meanings from each word. And so the first sentence, the first verse in this passage says, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. But the original language takes it a little further, and this is what it says. Literally it says, Keep on loving or continually love your neighbors in a manner that is beneficial to the ones who are hating you. Jesus is literally saying the way you love your enemies is that you find the ones who are hating you and you seek to be a benefit to them. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you sought to benefit someone who you know don't like you? How many times have you sought to actually better the life of someone who hates you? That's what Jesus is saying it means for the Christian, the Christ follower, the kingdom person to love their enemies. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, this is hard stuff. This is not, easy. This is not Christianity 101. 
All right? This is big people stuff. Okay? This is, this is getting down to the brass tacks, as I used to say. Y'all remember I used to say that. And Jesus goes on to let us know what this entails. What does it look like to actually live for the benefit of your hater, the benefit of your enemy? He says, he says this, he says, pray for them. He says, give to them. And not only give to them, give to them and lend to them without expecting anything in return. He literally says, in so many words, he says, let them take advantage of you. Let them take advantage of you. And that's what he means. But let me clarify what Jesus is not saying. Okay? Jesus is not saying to forsake justice. Okay? Forsaking justice is evil. And God is never, never advocating for evil. This is not what he's saying. But here is the reality. We can advocate for ourselves and others in ways that which we, in which we still maintain love for our enemy. Okay? You can advocate for yourself and for others in a way where you still maintain love for your enemies. And this is key. This is the key for Christian advocacy. Okay? For, for seeking justice as a Christ follower. Okay? It's maintaining a heart that desires the best for our enemy. Now, I can't tell you what this looks like in every scenario. I can't even tell you that I do this really well, okay? Writing this sermon is very difficult, it's very, especially when you're married and you're having an argument with your wife about the meaning of a word and it really don't matter, but you're still really upset and you don't want to talk to her anymore. <laughs> if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then you got to go write this sermon and you're like, God, I don't want to love this enemy. Why is this enemy in my house today? <laughs> Right? This is hard. And I can't tell you what it looks like in every scenario. But Jesus is calling us to find out what it looks like. To do the hard work of finding out what it looks like. And I want, I want to continue to let us, help us understand that Jesus is not, is not advocating for abuse, right? When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, which people use and just wildly take out of context... When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he's not saying that we don't advocate for ourselves or care for ourselves. What I think Jesus is saying is that love is not retaliatory. Okay? Love, is not re love does not take advantage of an opportunity to retaliate, even when seeking justice. Okay? A great example of advocacy that isn't retaliatory is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. himself. Right? His entire nonviolent movement was a way to advocate for the freedoms, the civil rights of people of color without trading hate for hate, without retaliation. He was advocating for justice. He was calling sin, sin. He was fighting, but fighting love, fighting hate with love. It is very possible to fight as hard as you can for, for, the, for justice while still maintaining love for the enemy. You know, looking back at the example of Mama Jane, I don't think that at any point Mama Jane felt like her son's murderer should, should get out of jail or, or that it was wrong for him to be in prison. I don't think that was ever her mindset. Okay? 
I think she was grateful that justice was served and that this young man was doing time for the crime. But at the same time, she sought to love him and to be a benefit to him in every way that she could while he was in prison. In every way that she could. And I think that her experience, similar to the experience of Dr. King, is the kind of love for enemy that Jesus is calling us to. And I want us to consider that because we all have someone that we may be at odds with. We all have someone that may be considered an enemy in our life. And so I want to challenge us this morning to consider how can we love these people? How can we advocate for ourselves but still want the best for them? This, again, friends, this is not Christianity 101. This is the hard stuff. You ready for this? Thank you, Jesse. Bob. Praise God for Jesse. Amen. This is the hard stuff. And the second point I want to make this morning, it's not a deviation from loving our enemies, but I want to separate a little bit because I think it's, it's very important. I want us to talk about it kind of by itself. And it's, not, it's more to do with who we are as kingdom people and a little less about what we do. And it's what Jesus says in verse 36. He says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. So our second point is this. Kingdom people are merciful. Kingdom people are merciful. Now, verse 37 in our NIV, it reads, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. But as I looked in the Greek, I found a more literal translation to be this. And do not judge and you definitely for sure will not be judged and do not pronounce guilty and you definitely will not be pronounced guilty. Release and you will be released. Now, the word that's translated forgive here, but is actually release. It's the same word that Pontius Pilate used when he has Jesus after he has been flogged and he presents Jesus and Barabbas to the people. And he says, which one of these would you have me release? That's the same word that Jesus uses here. That's translated forgive. It's release. It's legal law court language. Right. So everything that Jesus is saying here is, is legal law court language. Judge, pronounce guilty, release. And I think what Jesus means to communicate here is extremely important for us. OK, especially in this particular cultural moment we live, because with the media and social media and, and, and the Internet and all this, what we have in this world is that everyone assumes that they have the right to be the judge, jury and executioner of every person in their character. Right. We assume that we have the right to dig through everyone's personal life and be the judge, jury and executioner. No matter what the person says, no matter what the situation is, let anyone be caught in any kind of indiscretion or any kind of per perceived indiscretion. And that person is going to be drugged through the mud and canceled. And here's the disturbing part of that, brothers and sisters. By the way these people, by the way people are drugged through the mud and canceled, it actually seems like we enjoy it. Now hear me. I say we because I'm not talking about people in the world. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about Christian people. By the way we drag other people through the mud, by the way we cancel them, by the way we crucify them because of an indiscretion or even perceived indiscretion, it seems like as Jesus followers, we love doing it. 
But what Jesus is telling us here is that this is not the way of mercy. And this is not in keeping with the character of our God, who himself is incredibly merciful. What Jesus is telling us here, brothers, this is that when the merciful has an opportunity to judge, they choose not to. When the merciful has an opportunity to pronounce guilty, they choose not to. But when the merciful is presented with the opportunity to release, they grant freedom. They release. The merciful will release someone from their shame. The merciful will release someone from the prisons of the courts of public opinion. The merciful will grant freedom when they have an opportunity to bound someone because of their wrongdoing. And friends, when we do this, we are, are, we are ourselves being like our Father who is merciful and who has released even us when he had every right to bind us. He has released us. Friends, this is forgiveness. And this forgiveness, this release, is the kind of release we're called to have for our enemies. Release your enemies. Forgiveness is a choice to no longer hold someone's wrongdoing against them. And, and, to no longer desire their condemnation for their wrongdoing. And the opposite of desiring someone's condemnation is desiring their redemption, desiring their freedom. Hear this, friends. Kingdom people desire the redemption of their enemies, not their condemnation. Say it again. Kingdom people desire the redemption of their enemies, not their condemnation. And what Jesus is saying here, what he's promising here, is that as we, kingdom people, forgive and release our enemies, Jesus will himself release us. There's another place where Jesus says very clearly the opposite. Right? After teaching his disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, we call it the Lord's Prayer, He ends that. We forget that last part, right? He ends it by saying, but if you do not forgive others their faults, if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive you. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Release, and you will be released. I say it again, friends. This ain't ain't one-on-one. This is the hard stuff. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. So here's the question for us this morning. Are you bound by unforgiveness? Are you bound by unforgiveness? Is there someone in your life who, if you're honest, you want to see them condemned? In your heart, you desire them to be, you've pronounced them guilty, you desire their execution, you want them done and put away. Someone who maybe has wronged you? Someone you'd rather see punished than repentant and redeemed? Friends, listen, our God is merciful and he's always seeking to forgive. He's always looking to redeem. 
And he calls us to be the same way. Jesus loves his enemies and he calls us, his followers, to love them too. Jesus is merciful to those who have wronged him and he calls us to be merciful too. And as I close this morning, let the battery come. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with unforgiveness because the reality is, and I think this is the only place that our ability to forgive comes from is understanding how much, how deeply Jesus has forgiven us. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I don't know what that means to say that God has forgiven me. I don't know what that means to say that Jesus has forgiven me of my sin, that Jesus has released me. And what I want you to hear this morning, brother, sister, that at communion... When we take that, crack, that cracker representing the, blood of our, I mean, the body of our Lord Jesus and when we dip it in that juice which represents his blood, we are again being reminded of and again partaking of the redemption, the release that Jesus has afforded us through his body and his blood. And as we take of communion this morning, I want you to think of that. If you need that redemption, if you need that release in your own life, understand that it is here for you this morning. We'll take a moment to silently confess sin. And as we do that, all you have to do is look to God and say, God, I need that release. Jesus, I need that forgiveness. And he is quick. He is quick to forgive. He is quick to release. Friends, to take communion is to feast on our redemption. My prayer is that you will feast with us this morning. Amen. So as we turn our hearts and our minds to the Lord's table, I want us all to just bow our heads, close our eyes, and I want us to take a moment to silently confess sin. Wherever you find yourself as this sermon closes, maybe the sermon closes, Maybe you're on the side where you say, you know what, Lord, I've experienced your forgiveness. I know you, Jesus. I know what you've done. I'm grateful for it. But the reality is there's a place in my life where I'm struggling to forgive. I want you to pray and ask the Lord to remind you, to overwhelm you with the truth of his forgiveness for you. How deep that forgiveness is. How deep and wide his love is for you. And may that love compel you to forgive and release whoever you're struggling to forgive and release. If you're here this morning, you say, hey, I don't know what it means to, for Jesus to forgive. That's all new to me this morning. But guess what? I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm not right with God. What I want you to do this morning is just to say in your own heart, Jesus, I know I need you. I don't have it all figured out, but I'd love to know this forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Will you help me to live as you call me to be? And as you do that, as you do that this morning, well, as we take up this moment to silently confess, and I ask that you do that. And then I will lead us in a prayer of confession out loud.